Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 456. Uh, welcome in. Got a meaty episode today. I love making content, guys. Oh my goodness. I, uh, we got a long episode today. I think it'll be really long. Uh, it's going to be hopefully a little bit different than other past episodes, just in some of the structuring. And I, I don't know if anyone will notice. Let me know if you do. I'm curious. I also want to let you guys know that I, uh, I want to let you guys know that I rearranged my entire apartment, basically. So my studio is all different. And I used to, for a long time, have a massive like 42-inch TV displaying my face way too close to me. Uh, so that's gone. I no longer feel like I'm, I'm like, I mean, it, it was a thing. Was, my head on the screen was bigger than my head in real life, and it was kind of trippy. That's no longer, like, right in my face anymore. The camera's farther away. Uh, on screen, hopefully, it's basically the same. But uh, for you audio listeners, you don't even care or know what I'm talking about. I want to start today with a write-in from Patreon. Raphael writes in and says, hey, Zach, I just want to congratulate us, the Patreon community, and you, for the great Ask Zach segment from episode 454. The questions were well-written and had depth. You answered them well. It truly felt like we were having a discussion with you for 45 minutes. Um, first, though, Raphael, thank you. And to the people on Patreon, thank you as well. I checked moments ago. We were at 491 supporters on Patreon, nearly 500 of you. It does fluctuate about 20 every month, go up or down. I just want to say thank you to you guys on Patreon. Uh, I had a moment this morning where I was on my porch in Hawaii drinking a smoothie, and I was just like, oh, man, life is good. And I, I really – I got a ton of work this morning done. I I actually haven't slept since last night. I've been having a hard time sleeping. So instead of going to bed, I rearranged my entire apartment, and here we are doing the episode today. Uh, I also want to use this moment as an opportunity to plug the Patreon not only do you, for a dollar a month, you can write, you can support me, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. And not only can you support the Patreon, you also get, you know, get to write into Strong Opinion Sports and you get my other podcast, Zach Schaumler, talking. It comes out a week early on Patreon, then a week later, you know, free to everybody on podcast feeds and on YouTube. And you can write into that show as well. I'm trying to give people as much bang for their buck as humanly possible uh so first you know hey thank you so much Raphael. you guys have been great on patreon this writings are amazing and i'm very very grateful for you guys out there i want to go to now a second write-in on patreon teddy says this hey zach this isn't really a question but i kind of want to write in to tell you why i enjoy your show as much as i do with sports content i tend to find that stuff that makes its way onto quote, mainstream sports networks, i.e. ESPN and Fox Sports, tends to be the most radical or extreme takes. The amount of reactionary and catastrophic, you know, catastrophist, I don't know if that's a word, content that comes out of these networks is astonishing to me. The best part about your show isn't that you're entirely immune to reactionary takes. No one truly can be. But when you fall into that trap, you circle back around and admit when you were wrong. That's a refreshing habit for me, especially because I'm studying political science and nobody ever admits 
when they were wrong in that context. I figured that this is a perfect time to write in about this because when Joe Shiesty beats the Rams despite getting sacked 27 times, you might have to admit you were wrong again. Um, Teddy, that's a long write-in. Thank you so much. That's amazing. I, I want to talk about this because I think I have become well-known as the guy who makes content about when I'm wrong, which is kind of weird. Like, people are like, oh, he's wrong all the time. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm right about a ton of stuff. I, I nail predictions all the time. I just try not to glow about it. Like, the only time I can remember really gloating about a prediction was when I predicted the Seattle Seahawks have a bad year this year. And I was like, yeah, I planted my flag and said, I am so annoyed by all the hate I got. But for the most part, I try to be classy. And that was definitely not one of my most classy moments was gloating about that. But I try not to be that guy, right? Um, and, and more important to me than bragging about the times I get a prediction right is going back and talking about the stuff I get wrong. And it's, it's not that I'm wrong about all kinds of stuff. It's that I actually talk about talk about it when I'm wrong. Most people in the sports world, when they have an old take that doesn't age very well, they just kind of sweep it under the rug, pretend it never ex- happened or never existed. And, you know, you occasionally see a lot of sports broadcasters, someone, somebody will cut together a YouTube compilation of them being wrong. And I'm trying to think of, I, I don't like dropping names, but, you know, Skip Bayless, Colin Cowherd, Anybody in the, you know, Jim Rome, whoever, right? There are videos out there, compilations of times they were wrong. And I've always, as a fan of sports radio, I grew up loving, loving, loving sports radio as a kid. I'm heavily inspired by one in particular. I'm sure you can figure out who that is. Um, He copied my beard, by the way. That frustrated me. Uh, (laughs) um, And I've always thought, like, how cool would it be if a guy like Colin Cowherd, who I loved as a child, would like react to all the compilations of them on YouTube. And so I try to, instead of having other people edit it for me and go find it, I'll just make it myself. I'll cut together the clips of me saying wrong stuff. And I try to own all the things I get wrong and revisit it and have a lot of fun with it and not take myself too seriously. So, um, Teddy, thank you. It's funny, when I started Strong Opinion Sports, I, I was copying people like Colin Cowherd and Stephen A. Smith, and I felt like I had to pick a side on every topic. And what's weird about this show is it's called Strong Opinion Sports, but really, as time has gone on, it's really become more of moderate opinion sports. I actually sit on the fence all the time, and I'm like, look, it could go this way, it could go that way. I try to present both sides of every argument and be very rational and well thought out, which isn't necessarily reflective of the name. And I've had to kind of start saying that Sometimes the strongest thing you can say is that there isn't a right answer and both sides have to be considered. And, you know, that sometimes, again, sometimes just saying what you believe is the strongest thing you can possibly say, and even if it's not picking a side. So, um, Teddy, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for writing in. That's some of my, my approach behind the scenes and kind of the origins of the show, where it came from, some of my thought process. And, uh, I don't know. I I really try to be very, very fair and objective. I do not have a favorite team. I openly have favorite players. I love Joe Burrow. I love Tom Brady for years. Uh, But I look, I, I, for example, um, I would consider myself, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty close with a guy, the quarterback at Pittsburgh, Keaton Slovis. And the day will come where Keaton has a bad game. And I'm going to have to say, look, Keaton missed that read and that read. That was bad. Like, I'm going to have to criticize a guy I'm friends with. 
that's part of the job. I And I have no doubt in my mind that I can be honest about that kind of stuff. And if people that I'm friends with end friendships with me because I'm honest, that's their deal, not mine. But my job is to be honest first. I'm never going to trash Keaton Slovis. I love the guy. But to be clear, like, I talk to a lot of quarterbacks behind the scenes, and they either don't follow me on Instagram or don't want me to talk about our relationship. Keaton's been on the show very open. Like, I don't I don't think we have a relationship where if I ever was critical, I'm, I'm sure, in fact, in fact, if I ever was like, hey, Keaton had two really bad interceptions that are terrible, Keaton would probably agree with me and go, yep, got to play better in here in this moment and that moment. So um, I just want people to know I always try to be as objective as I can within reason. Like, I have an opinion. I will tell you my opinion, but I try to be very fair and uh, I'm not a homer in any stretch of the imagination. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate any team. Um, and so that's some of the stuff behind the scenes behind my approach to the show. Let's talk about some big news in the NFL. Uh, I'm wearing a shirt today that should indicate a little bit where I'm about to go. The lead story of today's podcast. The Dolphins have hired a new head coach, Mike McDaniel, who used to be last year the 49ers offensive coordinator. And there's not a lot to be said here necessarily. I think it's a good move. Uh, Really what they need in Miami is a coach who can, frankly, help to try to save Tua Tungvaloa, their young quarterback. Who Tua, if you look at it from like wins and losses, and I think Tua has done pretty well. He's actually gotten better as time has gone on. Like he's... Tua could be a train wreck, and he's certainly not a train wreck that's hopeless, but he's going to have to get good coaching. He's going to have to take a step forward, and I'm actually excited because Mike McDaniel is a guy who could do that. Mike McDaniel, you never know. I mean, I I, I think I at one point thought Adam Gase was going to be a good head coach, right? Adam Gase was a guy who worked with Peyton Manning for years, offensive coordinator in Denver, came to Miami, and was horrible. So just because you're hiring an offensive coach does not necessarily mean they're going to be good or a home run or work with Tua. However, it feels good, and I think that it's better than them hiring someone like, I don't know, Mike Zimmer, who's a defensive coach. Like, I'm, I'm glad. Matt Eber, you know, Matt Eberflus, the quarterback or the head coach of the Chicago Bears, when the Bears hired him, I was kind of like, it's a bit weird. You got a young, talented quarterback, Justin Fields, who's going to need a coach who can work with Justin Fields to develop him. And instead of hiring an offensive coach, you hired someone who is on the defensive side who isn't going to work as directly with Justin Fields to develop him. So what the one thing you can praise about Miami here is they did really, really lean into, we got to work with our quarterback. We have to fix our offense. And they hired a coach, Mike McGinnis, who reflects that need. And I really, really like that. Also, by the way, one thing that is... I don't know. This isn't necessarily going to make him a better coach. In fact, it really has no factor at all. But one thing I love about Mike McDaniel is that he is hilarious to listen to in interviews. He's got a, a good personality. He's fun to listen to. He's got a, he has a lot of fun at the podium. And I don't know, again, whether or not he's going to be a great head coach. It's way, way, way too early to know that. I like that he's an offensive coach, but the one thing I love, and I know it's going to be fun at minimum, is he's going to give really fun, interesting answers at press conferences, and I I hope just lean into his personality. And I'm like, look, train wreck or not, whatever happens here, it's going to be entertaining. And that really, really excites me 
for Mike McDaniel's being Mike McDaniel, no S. Mike McDaniel being the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Now we have a question about this. Noah writes in and says, Noah writes in on Patreon as you can do patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Noah says, Hi Zach. I've been watching for over a year now, but this is my very first time writing in. Thank you, Noah. Welcome. This is a two-parter at the end. I'm a Dolphins fan, and we just hired 49ers offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel. I'm not sure how I feel about this one, but one thing I'm interested in is how this will impact Jalen Waddell. We saw what McDaniel did with Debo Samuel this year, making him a focal point of the offense in the second half of the year in San Francisco. Do you think he could do something similar with Jalen Waddell? Not necessarily utilized in the same fashion. They're not the same type of athlete. But having the offense go through him as opposed to a quarterback or a running back and having special plays and or formations. Here are my questions. Number one, is that something McDaniel could try and do? And two, could that work? So I don't think you're going to see... Jalen Waddle used exactly like Debo Samuel, right? They're not the same athlete. That would be a fool's errand. But what's really encouraging about Mike McDaniel coming to Miami is that what we saw with him in San Francisco is he found a way to best utilize the personnel they had. He got the best out of everybody there. He used Debo Samuel like a running back because Debo Samuel basically is a running back who can catch and he's this crazy hybrid of a receiver and a running back. Jalen Waddle is really good with the ball in his hands, and I don't think they're going to use him running between the tackles up the middle. Like, certainly not at all. But they're going to use him, you know, outside, stretching. You know, I think maybe more similar to the way Tyreek Hill is used in Kansas City. A lot of fly sweeps, a lot of stuff out wide. Get him in space with the football. And, yeah, I think they're going to lean heavily on him. And even if they don't – what I'm trying to say here is that it's just encouraging. They're going to use Jalen Waddell a lot, get the most out of him. But also, Mike McDaniel's a smart dude who, if he can get the most out of Debo Samuel, it gives me confidence he can get the most out of everybody else in Miami as well. And, man, I'm just really, really excited to see what happens. And I think he's going to get the most out of Tua, the most out of Jalen Waddell. And I, I, I'm excited to see how they draft and what they do. But I just think that what Miami has not had for quite a while it's a really good, exciting offense, and I am I'm so very much hoping that Mike McDaniel can bring that to Miami. Okay, uh, let's talk about the Senior Bowl. The Senior Bowl happened uh, this past weekend. It's the Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. It's kind of the... I don't know. The Shrine Bowl, I think, is actually more interesting. I didn't watch that, though. It's not as heavily televised. Um... You know, friend of the show, Brett Coleman, went to the Shrine Bowl. I will probably go to the Shrine Bowl next year rather than the Senior Bowl. I think the Shrine Bowl matters more. But the one thing the Senior Bowl does get that other, like, all-star games in around the NFL draft do not get is the Senior Bowl gets the best quarterbacks in the NFL draft. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis. Um, and it's hard to judge decision-making in the senior bowl because you've got guys, you know, Kenny Pickett, I thought might've taken a sack. He didn't need to, but you can't really fault him for not knowing where his check down is going to be when he learned the offense in a week. Um, and really the guys that shine in the senior bowl, the most are guys who are crazy good athletes who are just frankly, a guy like Justin Herbert who can run and throw and just make 
really physically impressive throws. And I thought what we kind of learned from the senior bowls that none of the quarterbacks in this draft class really have that ability. Like there was no outstanding, amazing physical play. We're like, wow, what a great throw. What a great run. What a great moment. Like even Malik Willis didn't have a moment like that. And, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett doesn't have a huge arm. Malik Willis was not able to escape the rush as well as I was hoping he would. And even though, I mean, these are not even NFL necessarily top-notch defensive ends yet. So I can't imagine what he's going to do against really, really amazing top-notch defensive ends in the NFL um, when he really struggled to get separation against guys in the Senior Bowl. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Sam Howell, uh, the quarterback out of North Carolina, ran a lot better than I thought. He was avoiding sacks and making plays in and out of the pocket. And I think, if anything, the Senior Bowl really, really made me feel even more certain that the Detroit Lions, who have uh, you know a, a top pick in the draft, the number two overall pick, the Lions should stick with Jared Goff at quarterback next year. And, and maybe they draft a guy like Sam Howell in the second round. I think if you're Detroit, you should draft a quarterback in the second or third round to hedge your bets and get somebody prepared to maybe eventually take over for Jared Goff if he doesn't work out. But there just isn't really an attractive quarterback that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stand on two feet and say, this is the guy that can be a franchise quarterback to replace a guy like Jared Goff. Jared Goff's good enough. You're also paying him a ton of money, and I just don't know that anybody better than Jared Goff is out there in this quarterback class. And so if I'm the Lions, I'm just like, look, we got the quarterback situation good enough. That's solved. Let's really build our football team. And um, I, I'm just starting to you know get into looking at film and getting prepared and um, I think Malik Willis is the guy I'm most impressed with so far, but even he's like really rough and Malik Willis is a lot smaller and you know that I, I've in the past compared Malik Willis to Justin Herbert or Trey Lance or Josh Allen, but he's way smaller than those guys and doesn't run as well as those guys. And well, he's the best athlete of this quarterback class and maybe the best one. I'll, I'll have a better answer when I do watch more film um, I, I, at this point in the process. Very early, again, I, I'll do a film analysis for each guy. At this point, though, I'm like, I don't know that any of these guys are really a top 10 pick, and that's alarming. There are teams that need a quarterback, but you're probably better off trading for a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo than any of these rookie quarterbacks, and that's... <laughs> Like, Kenny Pickett is supposed to be the best quarterback in this draft class. And I'm like, I'm not that impressed. Like, he's he's basically Teddy Bridgewater, which is like, uh, eh, okay, like, I, I guess that's he's fine. But um, I don't know. These are the – I have five, but I added an extra one. There are six quarterbacks that I'm going to do a draft uh, film analysis video for preparing for the draft in April. Desmond Ritter, the quarterback out of Cincinnati. Kenny Pickett, the quarterback out of Pittsburgh. Sam Howell, the quarterback out of North Carolina. Malik Willis out of Liberty. Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. And then I added Carson Strong out of Nevada. Um, I think that I don't feel great about Carson Strong. He reminds me a lot of Drew Locke, actually. Um, I don't know how mature he is. I just get a weird vibe. But I think to not cover Carson Strong and do a film analysis for him would be frankly, negligence. And so I will cover him, but I, I'm like, eh, I just, eh. none of these quarterbacks are particularly compelling, but I'll do a film analysis on each one. Remember, I once did one for Tyree Jackson, the quarterback out of Buffalo. Like, I love doing this kind of work. Um, and so in the next couple months, look for that content, look for that stuff to come out. But 
for now, th- those are the six quarterbacks on my radar for film analysis videos uh, preparing for the NFL draft in 2022 this year. Okay, uh, we should talk about the Pro Bowl. I don't really want to, but I will. Um, the Pro Bowl is a joke. It happened this weekend, and that's really it. It, it happened. Oh, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, I watched the highlights. I watched a couple plays here and there. Like, it was on, and I was kind of flipping back and forth between it. Um, what I saw was more interceptions than tackles. Like, literally, I'm like, this is just quarterbacks not giving a flying F and just throwing the ball up in the air, and no one's tackling anybody, and it makes you just want them to play flag football because then you could actually have people give effort on defense. But even then, like, even if you're playing flag football at a high level, you still don't want to blow out your knee. Like, I just don't know why this game needs to happen at all. Um, And I I think that the best thing from – the Pro Bowl weekend is the skills challenges are awesome. They've got one with precision passing where quarterbacks throw the ball at targets. They've got another one. I don't know what it's called, but where quarterbacks are like throwing. There's, you know, two big walls with a bunch of holes in the walls. We are trying to throw the ball through the targets and defenders are trying to grab the ball and intercept it. That's really fun and interesting. Uh, Dodgeball is great. The skills challenges are the best thing about the Pro Bowl and the Pro Bowl itself, and if I've said Super Bowl at all during this segment, I meant Pro Bowl the entire time. Um, the Pro Bowl itself is just like the game doesn't feel necessary at all. In fact, it feels <laughs> like an embarrassment to the game. It's just I'm like, what, what are we doing here? Like why this obligatory game that nobody cares about, that nobody's trying in and everybody's trying their best to – it's just people screwing around, and, like, I hope, I honestly hope nobody ever watches the Pro Bowl. Like, do not watch it on TV. Watch the highlights if you want to see a little bit of entertainment. There's great clips on Instagram. But do not tune into the Pro Bowl, because I don't think we should encourage the NFL to make this keep happening. And maybe if the ratings go low enough, they will eventually just make a change and cancel it, because I, I think it's great to get everybody together for one weekend and have some skill challenges and honor the guys and do make a list of, like, the top players in the NFL, that's awesome. But playing a game seems very, seems very, very uh, nonsensical. Okay, there is one thing that happened. Alvin Kamara, the Saints running back, got arrested, apparently, um, after the game. And a lot of people are blaming Vegas for, you know, oh, so what happens when you have stuff in Vegas? Everybody gets, goes to Vegas and gets messed up and gets drunk and flexes their ego and gets arrested or in trouble. And, and, and sure, like Vegas is a place um, that if you want to do wild stuff, you can. But I, I want to echo something. Uh, I was actually texting Brett Coleman a lot this weekend. Te- Brett is one of my favorite. Well, let's just be clear. Tom Grassi and Brett Coleman are my two favorite people in the sports world. Like I just, I love them tremendously. Um, and, and Brett and I were talking, he was at a restaurant Nobu in Vegas and like, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey were there, like, hanging out. And there's a lot of NFL players who went to Vegas this weekend and did not get in trouble at all. They were just doing, you know, enjoying Vegas, living their lives. Alvin Kamara is the one outlier who got in trouble and did something dumb. But let's not blame Vegas or act like – I just – it's weird how that doesn't get reported at all. And I'm echoing what Brett said on Twitter. Like, you know, <laughs> we love to focus on the one negative from the weekend – how about all the guys that came and didn't get in trouble? And, like, I know that's not a crazy high barrier, but it's like, why does nobody ever talk about that? 
the guy's just hanging out, having a chill time, not getting wild. And I don't know, man. I, I really, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know much about the arrest. I just saw a little bit of it and I was like, oh, of course, like that sucks, but whatever. I don't know. I just, I, I do think it's worth noting that, you know, most guys go hang out with their friends, hang out with their family, enjoy the pool, get good dinners, whatever, and, and don't go have a rough time and get arrested. And um, I think we put a little too much emphasis on how dangerous Vegas is. And oh, no, it's like, well, you know, the same temptations in Vegas are everywhere in America, in every major city. There are nightclubs. There are casinos. There are places to drink and places to do wild stuff. It's maybe easier to find in Vegas, but um, I don't know. I just – but I don't even know what I'm saying now, but I – Certainly a lot of people go and went to the Pro Bowl this weekend and had a totally normal time, and that doesn't get mentioned, it seems like, at all. Okay, I want to talk about a couple Super Bowls that, you know, the Super Bowls we did not get. Because I, I man, there were some really fun opportunities that could have been in this year's Super Bowl that we did not get to see. Uh, Patriots against Tampa would have been incredible. Tom Brady against Bill Belichick meeting in the Super Bowl. Mac Jones against Tom Brady. Like, that would have been amazing. I'm really, um, I'm frankly disappointed that wasn't the outcome we got. That would have been incredible. Another fun Super Bowl opportunity would have been the Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. Imagine Bills fans and their incredible quarterback against the guy who has dominated them for years, Tom Brady. They lost to Tom Brady this year. They lost to him for years and when he played for New England. So to get Buffalo to have an opportunity at redemption, to win a Super Bowl against Tom Brady, or win or lose, it would have been a great story. Their old, bitter rival, Tom Brady, once again, they're playing him. This time, the biggest stage in the Super Bowl would have been incredible. I'm sad we didn't get that either. Another interesting Super Bowl matchup would have been Philadelphia against Pittsburgh. These are two cities in, you know, both from Pennsylvania. Now, both the Eagles and the Steelers were the number seven seed in the playoffs. And, um, you know, they, they didn't really ever have a shot at a Super Bowl. But how interesting and weird would it have been to have two Pennsylvania football teams and cities playing against each other in L.A. in the Super Bowl? And also, let's not, you know, kind of skip over the fact that Pennsylvania has got it really good. Two teams that made the playoffs this year from their city, like, and, and they... Look at historically, like the Eagles won a Super Bowl recently. The Steelers won a Super Bowl a while ago. Both have been playoff teams a couple times in the last couple of years. Like how much some states don't ever get a Super Bowl or don't ever get their team in the playoffs. So the fact that Pennsylvania's got two in one year and, and even, you know, two Super Bowls in the last decade, the, the state of Pennsylvania is just getting it really, really good. And, you know, Detroit would kill for even one playoff win, let alone a Super Bowl. So. Uh, that's kind of a fun storyline that would have been cool as Eagles against Steelers. Um, Kansas City against Green Bay would have been really, really cool. Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes would have been an incredible Super Bowl. And I think the way they match up against each other would have been really fun. So that's a, that's also, by the way, a rematch, I believe, of Super Bowl One, where Bart Starr beat Kansas City to win the Super Bowl in the frozen tundra. Uh, now, the final Super Bowl that I wish we could have gotten would have been the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry against Tampa Bay and the Tampa Bay defensive line. The best running game in the NFL in Tennessee against the best 
running defense, Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay would have won that matchup. I think Tom Brady's a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill, so it's pretty easy to pick Tampa in that oper- in that moment. But we never got to see Tennessee this year against Tampa, and I would have liked to see their running game against their running defense and just kind of see what happens. It would have been a fun science experiment. I want to give an honorable mention, though, before we move on. You know, we're exploring Super Bowl matchups that would have been fun to have happen. This is not a Super Bowl matchup, but it would have been a really fun playoff game. Packers-Cowboys. It would have been a rematch of the time that Aaron Rodgers made a crazy play at the end of the game to beat Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Remember, Dak Prescott's first every year starting, made the playoffs and lost on a crazy throw from Aaron Rodgers, rolling left, flipping his feet, throwing the ball left down the sideline. Now, on top of that overshadowing that little rematch is the fact that it had been Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach, coaching against his former team, the Green Bay Packers, and his former quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, who appeared to basically run Mike McCarthy out of town. That would have been an incredible matchup. I wish we could have got that. That would have been a really fun NFC title game. Um, Obviously, it wouldn't have been a Super Bowl. They they had to play to get into a Super Bowl, but I really wish we could have got that. That would have been really, really interesting and really, really fun. And unfortunately, both were eliminated from the playoffs and uh, actually both by <laughs> uh, the 49ers. So, um, yeah, I just... Uh, it would have been a really, really fun matchup that I wish we could have gotten to see this year as Aaron Rodgers against Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. All right, let's shift gears to... Oh, we got to talk about Kyler Murray. Give me a sec. I need to put on some some chapstick. So I, this is something that I've hinted at a little bit previously. It's a concern I have. I am worried about the leadership of the Arizona Cardinals quarterback, Kyler Murray. I don't know if you remember, you know, about a month ago, roughly, Arizona lost to the L.A. Rams in the playoffs 34-11. to And in that game, I felt like the Cardinals quarterback, Kyler Murray, shrunk and did not rise to the occasion at all. And when they were down 21 to nothing at halftime, or 14 to nothing, or 7 to nothing, or later in the third quarter, 28 to 0, there was never a moment where Kyler Murray stepped up as the vocal leader that he needed to be to rally his football team. You saw a lot of shots of him on the sideline. He was sullen, he was quiet. I don't need my quarterback to be the loudest guy all the time. I'd rather have a vocal leader. But you don't need to be the rah, rah. Like Justin Herbert is a great example, the Chargers quarterback of a really good quarterback who's more low-key or introverted, doesn't like the media, isn't rah, rah. That's, that's fine. But when you're down 21 to nothing, you need your quarterback going, all right, guys, let's go. We got this. We're going to put together a drive. We're going to make it happen. And Kyler Murray didn't show any kind of compelling leadership. He didn't galvanize his teammates around him. One of the best leadership moments I've ever seen from a quarterback in the NFL, and maybe ever seen is a bit of a a strong statement, but it's strong opinion in sports. I say what I want. Uh, A couple years ago, Gardner Minshew, his rookie year, on the road against Denver, put together a fourth-quarter comeback where you saw him on the sideline rallying his troops. Guys, let's go. We got to make this happen. They put together the game-winning drive, won the game, and throughout, you saw him as a leader working on the sideline, encouraging people, keeping people engaged in the football game. 
Kyler wasn't doing that at all. And in a big moment where your team is down, in the playoffs, this could end your season. I'm sorry, but I want a quarterback who's going to be the leader my team needs. And, and Kyler wasn't that for his team. And that is a, oh, it's a cardinal red big flag, you know, big red flag. That is a problem that I'm like, uh, I don't need Kyler to be the loudest. I don't need Kyler to be a rah-rah guy. I don't think that's who he is. But can you be any sort of a leader in a big moment at the end of a game when we need you? He wasn't that. And that's a concern that I think a lot of people, I don't know, I'm sure the Arizona sports media saw that and really picked up on that. I haven't, I, again, I guess I don't really know what goes on in the national conversation in the sports world, but I saw that and I wanted to, you know, circle back to it because it's something that certainly, oh man, it really, really rubbed me the wrong way. And it made me feel um, just very, very concerned about Kyler Murray's leadership in Arizona. Okay, uh, something happened that is may or may not, it may or may not be a big deal. I don't know. It's hard to get a read on it. Um, I mean, I lost my pen. How, how is this possible? I, I had a pen, and now I don't. And, and like, I, I have a desk in front of me, and there's literally nothing going on in the desk. There it is. I'm, I'm trying to write and mark off stuff as I go. Something happened in the sports world that may or may not be a big deal. Tom Brady made an Instagram post announcing his retirement. Now, he did not say the word retire one time in that entire statement. I speculated that's probably because he doesn't view his next step as retirement. He views it as a shift in career away from football, maybe into broadcasting or into as a business manager or into a podcast host or whatever. He, I don't think he's going to stop working entirely. But when Tom Brady made this long Instagram post or this Twitter post and shared his gratitude for all the people who've supported him over the years and thanked a bunch of people and t said he's not ready to make the you know um, competitive commitment to football anymore, he made a clear decision. He did not mention the New England Patriots one time at all. And this is like a seven-slide Instagram post. It's like a lot of words. And I don't know. I mean, I don't think it was a slight against New England. My theory is that it's not the time. I mean, Tom Brady, when he left New England, said thank you to New England. He made a whole Instagram post. He said thank you to the Patriots. He had his moment celebrating what he did and appreciating what New England did for him. And then, again, when the Buccaneers played Tampa this past year, he had another moment saying thank you to New England, thank you. Maybe for Brady, it felt redundant to, for basically a third time, acknowledge how much New England meant to him. And this retirement announcement, him walking away from Tampa, I think was more about Tampa. He's like, look, I've been there, done that with New England. I've already said thank you to them. I've already acknowledged how important they were to me. This, this announcement, this post is about Tampa Bay and the gratitude I have for them and their people. And I, I think... Really, there's not a lot to read into here other than I, I'm pretty sure my impression is, my my opinion really, is that I think Tom was just feeling like it wasn't the time. He already had said goodbye to the Patriots, and this post was all about Tampa. I, I don't think there's much more to read into other than that. All right. Um, I want to ask a question. Has the narrative around Matthew Stafford 
already been changed for years and years and years. Matthew Stafford was the starting quarterback, 12 years in fact. Matthew Stafford was a starting quarterback of the Detroit Lions. And they didn't win a playoff game. They had a great receiver, Calvin Johnson, put up a bunch of crazy numbers. And people would often refer to Matthew Stafford as a guy who was padding his stats. He'd make these, have these incredible years, throw for 5,000 yards, break a ton of records, and have great numbers, but never actually win or have a great season as far as wins and losses. And I think when you ask, has the narrative around Matthew Stafford changed? I would say, yeah, obviously it has. The question is how much? Because to go 12 years in Detroit and not win a playoff game, then immediately go to L.A. and in year one win three and then maybe a Super Bowl. We'll see what happens next Sunday. I, it's undeniable that Matthew Stafford was held back by the Lions and that he's better than the wins and losses that were produced during his time in Detroit would show. Like the whole idea that Matthew Stafford can't win a big game. Well, he proved you wrong three times in like three weeks. Bang, 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 three playoff wins. He's in a Super Bowl now. Uh, I Yeah, I don't – I'm not ready to say that Matthew Stafford is the most clutch quarterback of all time. But, again, that idea that he couldn't win a big game at all was ridiculous. He, we always knew how great and clutch Matthew Stafford was, and it's cool to finally see him with some support. Um, now, I, we don't need to say that Matthew Stafford is the best quarterback in the NFL, though. He certainly does have boneheaded moments or moments where you're like, that's a terrible throw. That's a bad interception. That's a – Go watch the Tennessee Titans game. He had back-to-back interceptions and made terrible throws, and you're like, Staff, what are you doing, bud? That's terrible. Matthew Stafford isn't perfect. But we tend to swing a pendulum way too far to one direction or way too far to the other. And one side, for years, people were saying Stafford is terrible. And now people want to say, he's the best ever. All he needed was a good team. I don't think many people are saying that, but that would be the pendulum swinging too far the other way. The answer is somewhere in the middle. Matthew Stafford is an incredible quarterback. He's really talented. He's really good. Clearly, he can win big games. Clearly, he is clutch. And um, I, I don't know. I think certainly Matthew Stafford could use the Super Bowl victory on Sunday more than the Bengals quarterback, Joe Burrow. You know, Joe Burrow is just starting his career. I think a lot of people are just impressed with the fact that Joe Burrow is even in a Super Bowl at all, that he took his team there. Matthew Stafford has all the pressure on him, though. Matthew Stafford was traded to the, to the Rams from Detroit. And the mission to win began. And the Rams are all in. They, made, they traded for Von Miller. They signed Odo Beckham Jr. They made move after move after move to pursue a Super Bowl. And when you get traded for a bunch of first-round picks and your team really heavily invests in you, the expectation is a Super Bowl. So Matthew Stafford has more to gain from winning a Super Bowl here than Joe Burrow would. And, and frankly, I think more to lose as well. Like, nobody expects Joe Burrow to win. I, I'm kind of leaning towards, actually, I think, I think the Bengals are going to win this Super Bowl. I think, I think this Jalen Ramsey matchup against Jamar Chase is going to be a huge deciding factor. But, um, yeah, I think the narrative has absolutely changed around Matthew Stafford. He's now no longer hopefully viewed as a guy who can't win or isn't good enough. He was always held back by Detroit, and we've seen that. We've definitely learned that that was true. He always was held back. How good is he? Can he win a Super Bowl? Let's find out. That'll be really fun, but um, I, I'm just really glad that I never have to hear again how 
all Matthew Stafford does is pad stats and he can't win big games because that was never true. And I, um, I'm really, I'm really, really glad that it, hopefully, like if anyone ever does make that argument, still go ahead. But do you really believe that? Like, can you really look in the mirror and go, "I'm totally right. Stafford can't do anything." Like, okay, say whatever you want, but I, I would have a hard time looking at myself in the mirror if I said that. I'd be like, mm, "Come on, man." Come on, you don't believe that. Okay. Um, let's shift gears to Ask Zach. It is now time for my favorite part of the show. It is where I answer questions from the audience. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. You also get access to my other podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking. It comes out a week early on Patreon and you can write in questions to Zach Schaumler talking as well. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. If you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is to look at every single write-in with my eyeballs. I'll pick the top couple and read them on the show. Question number one today comes from Andrew. He says, hey, Zach. One of your topics last week was top quarterbacks you were looking forward to watching this next year. As a Michigan fan, we have a promising young talent in J.J. McCarthy. What are your thoughts on him? Love the show. Keep up the great work. Um, so actually, a buddy of mine, James Price, coached J.J. McCarthy in high school at IMG Academy. And he loves J.J. a ton. He says nothing but good things, talks about how his work ethic's incredible. And this is stuff that my buddy James volunteered this information. It's not like I was asking him and he was trying to sell me on how good J.J. McCarthy is. No, he's just like, look, this guy's amazing. He's gushing about how great J.J. is. And he's clearly got a ton of talent. He clearly works hard. I've actually messaged him, and we've actually talked a little bit. I said, look, I'm just rooting for you, man. I really believe in you. I'm excited for the future. Here's a question. Will J.J. start next year? I, I think so. Like, they played him a lot this year. There's a guy a- above him. But i that's the big question. The reason why J.J. McCarthy was not on that list is it's not guaranteed he's going to start next year. I, I hope he does. If I was Michigan, I would just lean into it, play their young, talented quarterback, move on from the other guy who's more limited. But um, I just didn't feel comfortable putting him on the list when I didn't know whether or not he was going to be the full-time starting quarterback at Michigan next year. Okay, David writes in, um, he, this is a question I hesitate to answer, but I'm going to. David says, hey, Zach, you mentioned in a previous video that you text Keaton Slovis once in a while. I think that's really cool, and I'm curious how you met or he got in touch with, or you got in touch with him. Also, can you tell us of anyone else in the football world that you know or talk to? Thanks. Keep up the great content. Um, I'm actually not going to tell you the other quarterbacks I talked to. Um, Keaton is the rare exception where he follows me on Instagram. Um, he told me he's a fan of the show. He's been a fan of the show for a long, long time. He's allowed me to be open and and public about our relationship. And so I'm very grateful for that. I think it helps with clout a little bit. It's very cool to like, dude, when I talk to Keaton, I'm like, dude, I don't think he realizes, like he talks to me like a friend. I'm just happy to like, be able to talk to you on the phone. I'm like, this guy, is a, I love him so much. I'm such a fan of him. And I really, really, really admired what he did as an 18-year-old freshman at USC. I just, I, I was blown away by his maturity, 
every time I talk to him, I just he's such a well-grounded, awesome dude. And he told me he's liked the show for a long time. I'm sure it didn't hurt that I made a video talking about how great he was his freshman year at USC. I, I don't know. I don't know how he came to know about me. But he followed me. We reached out. He reached out to me. We talked. And so, yeah, we, we talk every once in a while. We text. We talk on the phone. It, I don't know. There's not much more to that. And I don't want to really, like, make it seem like we're best friends or – I don't know. I don't want to overplay our relationship. But, it's look, it's really cool, and I get a lot of insight, and um, I just love the guy. And I will say – so I, I do talk to a lot of quarterbacks behind the scenes. I've got a, a platform, and – uh, I make videos about quarterbacks all the time. And if I was a quarterback in college, it would be very tempting for me to, who is this a-hole on the internet making videos about me? I'd, I'd click on that. I totally would. Like, when people talk about me, I want to see what they have to say. Um, <laughs> so uh, there was one really, really, really talented quarterback that I have been very, very critical of who got in touch with me. And he had a lot of humility. It actually impressed me. And... I don't think he was happy with me, but he certainly was like, look, look let's talk about it. Like, where, where, what are your criticism, criticisms of me as a person and a, as, a, as a quarterback and my maturity? And I was very frank, and I told him, like, look, man, this is a bad look. This is a bad look. You appear distracted. You This and that. And I told him all my grievances, and uh, it was a really interesting conversation. He doesn't follow me on Instagram. It's not that, but it, we did get in contact and we did talk on the phone and it was very kind of, it was surreal actually. I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay. Um, and that was a, a cool conversation to get to actually tell a guy. It's really, really weird to talk about humans all the time. Like I talk about so many football players constantly. And it's one of those moments where you would hope if you actually got to talk to the guy, you would say exactly what I said in my video. And this was a real example where I got to do that. And it was, like, very rewarding. Like, okay, I'm not a shill. I'm not full of myself. I'm not crazy. I really I really am saying stuff I would say to their face. And that was pretty cool. I've talked to a lot of um, – a lot of the time when you make a video about somebody, they watch it. And then they'll have feedback. And they talk to you. And I get a lot of messages like that. They're not always friendly. <laughs> uh, but it's still insightful. Um most of my sources I'm never going to share, and that's because I, I – I, why would I do that? I, I like the access I get from people, and I'm not going to tell you where I got information or who says what. But I often will say, like, I've heard blank. I, I regularly say on the show, people tell me this. Friends say this. People say that. I'm not saying that because someone on Twitter told me that. I'm saying that because people in the NFL have talked to me or people in college football have talked to me about said player or said player himself talked to me. And even then, I try to downplay everything. I'm like, oh, I heard blah, 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 when really the player himself told me that. Um, I will – I'll give you one example. I, again, I, I never want to talk about who my sources are, but I'll say one because I think he wouldn't care, and he made it public, so it's fine. I made a video about Jamal Adams saying – I think Jamal Adams did everything he could to get out of New York. He hated playing for the Jets. Jamal Adams would reach out to me and said, yeah, you were totally right. And it was a huge, I was like, that was like the first time I'd ever gotten contacted by a really big football player. And I was like, oh, crap. All right. I, I tried to put myself in his shoes, tried to understand. And he really felt cared for that I, um, I shared his perspective, which he felt like was not getting shared enough at the time. So um, I've had a couple surreal moments like that. And I, I don't know. I, I just never want to brag. I never want to be like, oh, I, blah, blah, blah. but I, I certainly do get talked to by a lot of people. And I, some of them are pretty crazy that I'm like, 
I'm just a guy in a apartment talking about football who is at my core. I'm a huge fan. And, um, to some of the conversations I've had with people that I, it, it just, it's very cool. They get to like actually talk about the people that are kind of your heroes or the people that you talk about all the time, distantly, never thinking you'll ever talk to them in person. So, um, it's definitely the coolest part of my job. And I haven't even done very much of that. Like, I can't imagine people like, you know, Pat McAfee interviews Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, I wish I could do that. And I want to do that. I would love to really be able to do that, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't pursue – it's funny. I have a lot of contacts, but I don't pursue conversations very often because I just hate collaborating. I don't – interviews are a pain. It's hard to, you know, make the timing work. And I just don't need – like, I'm good enough. I don't need to always do interviews to make it work. And I often feel scared that if I do an interview and a guy says something crazy, he'll get, like, canceled or he'll lose his career or lose a sponsorship or whatever. And I'm like, I don't – the last thing I would want is for someone to come on my show and get a ton of hate. So I just don't go there. I've got friends who play in the NFL. And I'm like, look, when you're retired, then come on the show. But until then, like – I think you guys know this. I have a couple high school teammates who are in the NFL, like starting on Sundays in Dallas, in San Francisco. And I'm like, when they're done, then they'll come on. But until then, I don't feel the need. I don't need to do interviews to survive. I'm doing totally good. Um, and I've now talked way too long about that. But I, I don't know. I do have contacts, and I, I do talk to people, and I just don't I – don't, uh, I don't pursue it very heavily. So. Um. Matt's Card Shop writes in with an interesting question. I can't believe how long I talked about that. I was going to say, like, two words and be done, but I, I answered that. I answered the F out of that. I just talked and talked and talked. So what happens. I, it's a very loose show. I haven't scripted very much. I, uh, I don't even know exactly what order I'm going entirely with all the topics, and so it's been kind of fun to bounce around and have fun with it. Matt's Card Shop writes in and says, Hi, Zach. You said a few times now that we should appreciate the trio of Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, before we don't know how much longer they have together. See, he's saying that I've said before you should appreciate those three because we don't know how much longer they have together. If you were the GM of Kansas City, which one would you let go first? Uh, I mean, ideally, you'd probably let Travis Kelsey go first because he's 32 and Tyreek Hill is 27 and Patrick Mahomes is going to be there for like 15 more years. Um, here's the thing, though. Tyreek Hill is a free agent after next year. In 2023, Tyreek Hill will be a free agent. Travis Kelsey is under contract until 2026. That's when Travis Kelsey will be a free agent. So despite being five years older, Travis Kelsey will probably be there longer unless they give Tyreek Hill a new contract, which I, I, they, I would if I was Kansas City. I can't imagine them letting him leave, but the guy that Kansas City is at risk of leaving sooner is Tyreek Hill. Like, and it's very possible next year is the last year we ever get to see Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, and Tyreek Hill all play together. If Tyreek Hill doesn't want to take a team-friendly contract and leaves early, then he's gone. And we won't get to appreciate that trio anymore. So that's why I say over and over and over again. You never know when this is going to end. What if week one next year, Travis Kelsey blows out his knee Tyreek Hill leaves in free agency, and we never see them all three play together ever again. Like, appreciate it, man. Every time those three play together, it's special, it's fun, it's crazy. You better enjoy the moment because you never know when you're going to get it again, and you don't know how long it's going to last. Thomas writes in and says, oh, this is so – well, it's really long. You need to drink water first. 
Thomas says, hey, Zach, two questions. Number one, what exciting storylines are you looking for at the Super Bowl? For me, it's the old guard Matthew Stafford versus the new guard Joe Burrow. Even though I want Stafford to win to bolster his Hall of Fame career, it would be awesome to see the Bengals and that fan base get a well-deserved victory. So that's question number one. I'm going to answer that, then read question number two uh, in a moment. So I will be rooting for Joe Burrow heavily. I I really, really want the Bengals to win this Super Bowl. Although you really can't go wrong. No matter who wins, um, there's great stories either way. Matthew Stafford getting his first ever Super Bowl after 12 years of misery in Detroit. Joe Burrow winning his third championship in, or second championship in three years between the national title and a Super Bowl now. So, you know, asked to reflex my way through this podcast. Um, Try not to choke and die. Uh, (laughs) uh, The Bengals' whole journey to this point has been improbable. And so I just have a really hard time counting them out. In fact, I'll do my prediction later this week, but I'm really, really leaning towards picking Cincinnati to win the Super Bowl. My brain tells me the Rams are going to win. Their defensive line, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., their Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. Like, they've got stars everywhere, Matthew Stafford. But my heart says, how could you ever count out Joe Burrow? Like, are you really sure that you are willing to bet against Joe Burrow? Who? Let's ask this question. If you need to win one football game and you could have any quarterback in the NFL, right now, what quarterback would you choose? Based on the last year, I would go with Joe Burrow. I'd take Joe Burrow over Aaron Rodgers, over Patrick Mahomes, over anybody. It'd be Joe Burrow or Josh Allen right now are the two quarterbacks playing the very best in the entire NFL. <laughs> Josh Allen played a perfect game and lost because they didn't get the ball in overtime. Literally, like, so Josh Allen or Joe, just, or Joe Burrow, excuse me, are the two guys that I'm like, if I need one game, it's Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow's still here. So it's just really that scenario. You need one win. I don't care if Joe Burrow is an underdog. The best team doesn't always win. You're telling me Joe Burrow can't win one game to be a legend forever. I think he can do it. I really do. And so, I, man, I'm really, really going to have a hard time not picking Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is going to win. Like, straight up, I, I didn't feel that way a week ago, but I've sat on it. I've thought about it. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, man. You're going to bet against Joe Burrow? Here's the other thing. This is the really, really key part of this is that L.A. has made it very, very clear, the Rams have, that they are going to go one-on-one between Jamar Chase, the Bengals' top receiver, and Jalen Ramsey, the Rams' star corner. They're like, we're going to go best on best, see who wins. That matchup could decide the Super Bowl. And here's the thing. Jamar Chase only needs to win a couple times to have a big game. You get three big catches (laughs) <laughs> you, if, if Jamar Chase catches three deep balls in the Super Bowl, they probably win. And look, man, the NFL right now, the rules are skewed towards offensive football. Offensive players have an advantage. Jalen Ramsey could get three pass interference penalties, hand Cincinnati a ton of yards, and lose the game that way. So between the Jamar Chase-Jalen Ramsey matchup, who I think Jamar Chase is going to win that matchup, because it's just harder to play corner in the NFL. I had a a source in the NFL tell me this year, he said, frankly, with the rules now, all you can really do is try to stay next to a receiver 
and hope the quarterback throws a bad ball. Because if the quarterback's inaccurate, then you can get an interception. He was talking about Trevon Diggs, the quarterback in or the corner in Dallas who's got a ton of interceptions. Said Trevon Diggs isn't a great corner, but he's got good hands and he stays near receivers. And then when a quarterback will misfire, he'll make them pay. So it's incredibly hard to play corner in the NFL right now. Receivers almost always have an advantage. I think Jamar Chase is going to win that matchup. You're going to bet against Joe Burrow? Those are the things I'm looking for in the Super Bowl. And I just think that, man, I really, really am starting to believe that the Bengals are going to win this Super Bowl. Your second question, this is a question from Thomas. He says, with the underwhelming reveal of the Washington Commanders, if you were given the opportunity to start a franchise, what city would you choose? Me personally, I would either choose Lincoln or Omaha, Nebraska. It sounds weird to start a franchise there, but they are diehard college football fans, and I think a team would work there. I would not want to compete with the love for the Cornhuskers, but what I would do, I've said this before on the show, I would go to San Antonio. San Antonio does not really have a, they've got the, the San Antonio Spurs, they've got University of Texas San Antonio, who is a small level D1 school. I would say, look, you put a, an NFL team there. San Antonio, let me look this up. They're a way, way bigger city than people realize in the NFL. Uh, biggest cities in the U.S. So, by population, the biggest cities in America, San Antonio is the seventh biggest city in America. New York, L.A., Chicago, Houston, Phoenix, Philadelphia, then San Antonio. And San Antonio does not have an NFL team or really a high-level college football team there. Dude, San Antonio is a market just waiting waiting to get a football team. And look, Texas football, football in Texas is different. They just care way more. I would put a football team in San Antonio tomorrow before competing with, if you go to Omaha or Lincoln, you're competing against the Cornhuskers. If you go to San Antonio, sure, like there are Cowboys fans, there are whatever fans, but you're telling me some of them wouldn't start fresh. There's a reason why every other league, the AAF, the Everybody goes to play football in Texas, and San Antonio is a huge target that I would, I would pursue. I'd say, look, let's put a football team in, tech, in San Antonio because it's a huge market. It doesn't have a high-level college team, doesn't have an NFL team really, and there's a population there that's massive that's hungry for football. So, like, you know, I know that – so Dallas is the ninth biggest city in America, uh, according to – so that's a 2022 poll based on – uh, as of 2020. So Dallas, Fort Worth is all one big giant metropolis. So that's kind of cheating to say that Dallas is smaller than San Antonio. But that's my point is that San Antonio is way, way bigger than anybody realizes. And the only real pro team there, there might be a hockey team, but there isn't a baseball team. There's only a basketball team. There's the, the Spurs and then not much else. And I'm like, look, take advantage of that population who I think would welcome an NFL team in a heartbeat. <laughs> Steven says, Zach, maybe I didn't see clearly, but on your Instagram story a few days back, I saw you eating a donut with a spoon. Are you okay? <laughs> so I, I eat with a spoon uh, all the time. With every, I, I eat smoothies with a spoon. Uh, that's just because I'm weird and it's easier. But I, I eat pizza with a fork. I eat uh, donuts with a spoon. Uh, I just don't like getting my hands dirty. Like I... 
I, I would rather clean a spoon than clean the – and I, by the way, I often eat in bed. So, like, if I'm in bed, I, I have a bowl and a spoon because you get a donut with your hands, then your hands are all dirty and you can't touch anything. And Or if I'm watching football, for example, I'm taking notes and writing with a pen, and I want to touch a spoon to get the spoon dirty or the fork dirty, not my hand. So I just don't – I'm not a big guy who's into – I'll get my hands dirty at the beach when I'm working, but when I'm eating and I have an opportunity to use a fork – and so then I can multitask, use my hands for other stuff and eat at the same time. Uh, I, I use a spoon or fork all the time for stuff you wouldn't normally think you would, like a donut, like pizza, because um, I'm a crazy psychopath. That's it. <laughs> Not really, but I look, I yeah, I just don't like uh, again. Go back to this. If you're working. So when you watch football, you're watching football for fun. You're sitting back, you're relaxing, you got pizza, you're eating with your hands. There's no pressure there. When I'm watching football, I've got a blank sheet of paper in front of me. I've got my notebook. My notebook's empty. I'm taking notes. My, I'm taking notes in my notebook. You know, very. I'm left-handed, so it's just taking notes, writing. And when I take about a pizza, again, I don't want to get my hands all dirty, so I take about a pizza. Then I got to dry my hands or wash my hands or whatever with a towel or with a sink, so I can grab my pen again. I don't want my pen to get all dirty and greasy, so I just use a fork. It's easier. And I do that with basically everything in my life, and I I use uh, utensils all the time, and I have no problem getting made fun of. <laughs> um, ben says, this is a non-Super Bowl question, but these past few days I've heard rumors that Kayvon Thibodeau is falling down draft boards around the NFL. We're still a few months away from the draft, but if he really has fallen out of the top five and Aiden Hutchinson is the only top edge rusher, do you think the Lions could take a quarterback at number two? If so, who do you think? I think Malik Willis would be the best option as he could sit behind Jared Goff for a year or two and develop. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. I already talked about this earlier in the show, but I want to revisit in case you'd missed it or whatever. Um, Malik Willis has got the most potential of any quarterback in this draft class, but I don't think he's ready at all. And I don't think he's going to be better than Jared Goff. I think what the Lions should do is draft a quarterback in the second or third round, get like Sam Howell out of UNC in the second round. Um, and... Man, I, I think what Detroit has here is an opportunity to really build their football team. You're not going to find better than Jared Goff in this year's draft class. So build your football team, make your team better, stick with the quarterback you have, commit to Jared Goff, and I think you're going to be better off. So that, that's my take, and I, I don't think the Lions should draft a quarterback number two overall at all. I think that'd be a mistake. I think Jared Goff's good enough. You're paying him a ton of money. He's expensive and solid. Build your football team. Build the team around Jared Goff, and I think you will be rewarded with more wins and a, a hopefully a, a, tra- a shift in culture in Detroit. Asmi writes in and says, hey, Zach, have been one returning viewer for about a year now because I love your take on sport-related things. Great job, and may you have great things for you in the future. I have a question. I always believe that one of the best ways to market a sports game is through making the game easily playable as it can be to many people. But American football is one of the most expensive and injury-prone team sports games there is. So in many less fortunate countries that do not have the luxury, wealth, and health care to provide this, people play flag football or soccer. Soccer, by the way, is a very easy sport to get into. You need a ball, and that's it. It's very low, low risk. It's fun. Anybody can play it. It's very easy to understand. That's part of why soccer is ubiquitous is because it's just easy to pick up and play. Soccer and basketball are like just – soccer even less, is even less barrier to entry than even basketball. He continues and says, what is your opinion about flag football as a gateway into the American football sphere? As I remember a couple of years back, the official NFL Instagram and YouTube channels uploaded a flag football league 
where many retired NFL players played a lot, and a lot of the comments are really negative. Thank you, and may you have a great time. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to to share that I, I love flag football. I think flag football is incredible. It's really fun. I probably am never going to play tackle football. Probably. I am never going to play tackle football ever again. I don't see a world where I go back to college just so I can play a game, and I just I'm, – I'm good. I, I thought about it. You know, when I transferred out of my last college, I was going to go play somewhere else, and 2020 happened, and I just was like – I'm good. I don't ever want to go back. I don't want to work with college coaches anymore. I never could ever imagine myself in a classroom again. I'm good. Uh, but I have played in flag football leagues, and it's so fun. It's so fun. And it's close enough to the experience that uh, it's great. And, and, again, you can play without risk of getting destroyed. Like, you can play. If you're a, a guy who works in an office at a cubicle, you can play flag football on Saturdays and be totally fine. So I, I love it. I think they should make the Pro Bowl flag football. I think flag football is great, and I totally agree that and look, flag football teaches you a lot of fundamentals of football. So it's a, it's an incredible gateway to the, the game of football. And um, I I love your idea and your thought that people should play it more everywhere. It's it's very very you know if I had kids, I don't know that I'm ever going to have kids, but if I did have kids, I would encourage them to play flag football early in their life and uh, then later introduce them to hitting and tackling and stuff. But I think even for the safety of the game, if you play flag football first, you gain habits and um, a skill set and technique, and then you turn that technique into the game of tackle football and transition that. Um, I think it's a, it's a great thought and a, a great idea there. Okay, final question of the day. It's a long one, so be prepared. Brandon writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I would like to go on record and say this may have been the best postseason in recent years. Every divisional and conference game has me on the edge of my seat. I'd like your opinion on my four takeaways and maybe hire me as your co-host. <laughs> he says, joking. Uh, Brandon, I, I love this. He says, uh, number one, the Bengals show you don't need a team full of stars to get to the Super Bowl. Good key players being leaders and players stepping up and making plays can work. Totally agree. So what he's saying, the Bengals don't have a, a, a team full of stars. They've got a couple key really good stars and then other role players have stepped up around them. Brandon, great insight. Love that. Totally agree. Number two, if Matthew Stafford wins the Super Bowl, he will just be playing for stats and longevity to solidify his Hall of Fame case after that. I think you're also right. Matthew Stafford wins the Super Bowl this year. Then all he's got to do for the rest of the year is not play terrible, put up a lot of big numbers, maybe another deep playoff run. If he could win two, he's probably is guaranteed to be a Pro Bowler or a Hall of Famer. But if he wins the Super Bowl here... And finishes the next couple of years of his career at a high level, I think Matthew Stafford will be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Number three, Jimmy G did not play his best, but his last set to... Okay, I got to restart this. Brandon says, Jimmy G did not play the best, but his last second interception is not his fault. He tried his best to make a play, and the running back couldn't make the catch. He's a bottom-tier starting quarterback or top-tier backup. Totally agree. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a guy that I would build around. But he's a great duct tape quarterback. He's he's better than almost every backup in the NFL and better than a lot of starters in the NFL. He's a mid-tier to bottom barrel starter, but a guy that I would happily trade a second-round pick to get. I think he's a guy who can win. He's shown he can win. And if I'm a team like, I don't know, Washington, Pittsburgh, uh, New Orleans, Tampa, who doesn't have a quarterback who needs an answer for next year, Jimmy Garoppolo is a great answer to that question. And insight number four, Brandon says, Patrick Mahomes threw two costly interceptions, but they need to start prioritizing defense so they can afford a pick 
by making major stops and plays on their own. Sorry for the message, but as a Georgia fan, I hope Stafford wins. That being said, if Joe Burr wins easily, and he says, Burr wins, I'll equally be happy. An awesome Super Bowl and halftime is surely what this country needs right now to have some unity, and I believe we're going to get that. As always, you're awesome, and keep rocking. Brandon, thank you. I loved your insight. That was fun. It was a good read. Um, yeah, what does Kansas City need to do? Either build their offensive line or build their defense, and they probably need to work on their defense some more. I just think that you're – I think you're right. I think you nailed it. Um, and, like, first-round pick for Kansas City is probably going to be a defender. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much. I, uh, I'm i not hiring, <laughs> but I, I appreciate your insight. That was really fun. And uh, I'm just – oh, man. I love my life. I love my job. I love, I love interacting with you guys in the sports world. And uh, – I think it's going to be a special Super Bowl. I'm so excited. Hope you have a great day. That's all I have for today. I love you. But um, bum, bam, we are done.